Welcome to They Did It, your official source for information on conspiracies, bizarre beliefs, and the unexplained, with your hosts, Brian Bonner and Jack Hanley. Jack is a historian and folklorist, whose academic melias include Central and Eastern European history, modern European history, European and American folklorists, and contemporary urban folklore. Brian has investigated paranormal claims for over 20 years and is trained in many related fields, including psychology, electronics, influence and deception detection, hypnosis, and audio analysis. He leads talks and lectures on critical thinking, paranormal investigations, historical research, digital imaging, and supernatural claims analysis. Continue at your own risk. Take us down the rabbit hole, boys. Greetings, fellow travelers, and welcome to They Did It. I am Jack Hanley, a historian and folklorist based in Boulder, Colorado. And I'm Brian, based in Denver, Colorado, and I've been doing paranormal investigations for over 22 years at this point. Welcome to our inaugural podcast, and for our first segment, we want to take you back to December the 4th, 2016, to an otherwise mundane day on Washington, D.C.'s bustling Connecticut Avenue. That day, the diners at Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria were enjoying their world-famous slices and calzones as usual, blissfully unaware that the man carrying an AR-15 and fast approaching the doors had recently left a message for his young daughters back home in North Carolina. The shaky cell phone video was eerily to the point. I can't let you grow up in a world that's so corrupt by evil without at least standing up for you and for other children like you. Edgar Madison Welch's two young daughters were still asleep when their father stormed the restaurant, assault rifle drawn, to, by his own admission, self-investigate an online conspiracy theory, dubbed Pizzagate, that claimed the pizzeria was one of several Jewish-owned locations in league with the Clintons and other powerful global elites, harboring an underground child trafficking ring with assertions of human trafficking, pedophilia, satanic ritual torture, and the harvesting of tortured children's blood for use in a mystical psychedelic ceremony to get high and stay young forever. A belief, mind you, that according to a 2020 poll conducted by NPR, is shared fervently by 17% of our fellow Americans. And despite the historical legacy of its many ancient origins, in its modern incarnation can be distilled down to a rather nondescript, simple chemical compound produced by the oxidation of adrenaline a compound whose legacy has re-emerged to haunt the back channels and dark corners of the internet to inspire a modern new wave of self-anointed child saviors under the banner of the letter Q and by the urging of a former president himself. Join us on this episode as we take on Adrenochrome on the They Did It podcast. I, 
I think you are, uh, are are touching on some of the the major points there, but let's dive a little deeper into this. While the the Pizzagate was the beginning of this current version, uh, as you were saying, it does go back quite a bit. But let's look at Adrenochrome itself. Just like you were uh, touching on, there is such a thing as Adrenochrome. Uh, however, it has never been officially tested or approved for any medical purposes. That's right. And at this point in time, everything based on adrenochrome um, it seems to be coming from pop culture. But some of the things that are being claimed are, are absolutely horrific. Uh, there is rumored to be a secret underground cabal of the, the deep state who are child trafficking all of these you know, younger children in order to harvest their blood. And the theory is when they are at their peak of being scared and you harvest their blood, that's the best time because the, the adrenaline is running harder in their veins. That's right. It's necessary for a violent extraction in order to achieve the highest potency of this. Of Absolutely. The, the and with the with the twist of, of course, you know, it has to be a satanic group because... That adds the fear. Right. So you not only have the elite, and as you were touching on, uh, very uh, big political ties. Uh, one of the things that is kind of a highlight or low light, depending on how you look at it, uh, <laughs> to this entire thing was a video that was rumored to have come out. And uh, there's even rumors that it, was partially either shot at the Comet Ping, Ping Pong Pizzeria or that uh, they showed it there. But part of this video is rumored to show Hillary Clinton and others killing a young girl and then not only using the adrenochrome, but skinning her and wearing her face. Uh, yeah, as a mask, the infamous frazzle drip. Exactly. So this really goes back uh, culturally the 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 blood portion of it, which I think you're probably going to be able to cover that a lot better than I do. Uh, but more recently, you know, it in the '50s it really started coming out uh, as far as the word itself and maybe some base reference points of what the claims are these days but i think this would be a good time for you to go into the uh the deep dark past and talk about it well sure and you know and again um, from the perspective like contemporary legends which this is or you know urban legends or modern folklore they're quite simply defined as stories which are spread through informal channels and circulated as uh true right most notably as like the friend of a friend trope um, and they can be created or spread for a myriad of reasons, right? Some for entertainment or just to reflect or comment on the cultural zeitgeist. But a lot of them are much more serious, as is this one, and uh, tend to, to just reinforce societal norms or values like cautionary tales or reinforce societal taboo. Uh, some try to alleviate social anxiety with folklore. But in many cases, like our topic today, and as you brought up, it's 
cruelly to reinforce prejudices or to attack a specific political, religious, or ethnic group. Um, what is fascinating, however, is just how many of these contemporary legends are just merely recycled or repackaged for some earlier trope that's existed in some form or other, right? In the historical context. Well, and, and you that's... run into this all the time in your paranormal research. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is, while this is definitely a case of that, if you look at most uh, ghost lore, cryptids, uh, any type of urban legends... Uh, you can trace it back to, you know, I would say one source story most of the time, but at least to a similar legend. And this is is no different. Exactly. And, you know, and again, from taking from that, so taking it from a, uh, a debunking or deconstruction of the, of the urban legend, it's the job of, of people like us uh, who wish to do this um, to kind of initially begin by tracking the evolution of its modern incarnation to its just earliest forms, right? And then kind of look at where they match with historical antecedents and, you know, and research it and see where they're documented. Um, so in some cases, it's very hard to do that tracing. In others, like this case, it is quite easy. There is a real legacy here of, of that's being well-researched and documented over time. So as you pointed out exactly right, it, from its scientific and biological origins, um, we first identified adrenochrome as early as 1901, and it shows up in the Oxford English Dictionary as early as 1909, just simply defined as a sulfur compound um, excreted from a gland. Uh, but for our purposes of the conspiracy theory we're discussing of adrenochrome as like a psychedelic, our first major citation occurs in 1954 with Huxley's Doors of Perception wherein he asserts its origins from the decomposition of adrenaline and likens it to, quote, mescaline intoxication. Now, one thing that I found interesting was, even though he, he quoted it that way, uh, he also was very vocal about how he never did try it, though. Exactly, right? So, it was about the idea that it would be a frontier, that, that uh, further fellow travelers would, would, would uh, try to go down the path. Exactly. So... Then it was kind of its next move. It's long been debated if Anthony Burgess is referencing directly adrenochrome in uh, the protagonist's use of drenchrome in the drinks at the Corova Milk Bar in 1962's Clockwork Orange. I, uh, I, I would like to think that it is, but a bit of me thinks that that's just accidental and a lot of confirmation bias thrown in there. I'm absolutely with you. I'd like to believe that greatly. But our next definitive confirmed cultural evolution occurs with our old friend Hunter S. Thompson in his novel Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas from 1972, and then, of course, again in the reincarnation of the film in 1998 of the same name, in which several components of the modern myth are actually formed and added there. And, that's, and this is important because, namely, that its use as a psychedelic develops an almost supernatural potency in relation to other drugs, um, that it's extraordinarily rare and hard to acquire, and most importantly, that it needs to be extracted mostly involuntarily from human glands under duress to achieve full potency. As your attorney, I advise you to take a hit out of the little brown bottle in my shaving kit. What is this shit? That stuff makes pure mescaline seem like ginger beer, man. Ginger beer? Adrenochrome. Adrenochrome? Hmm. So this is where we see like the real origin story of the adrenochrome myth. Exactly. And the thing is, this may be the origins of the adrenochrome myth, but if we take 
the the word adrenochrome out of it and replace it with what they're extracting, which would be the blood, the history goes back much, much farther. Absolutely. And, and see, and that's where it's, I would, uh, it's referenced next because it kind of simmers in popular culture for decades, really just as a bit of a fantastical drug lore, um, until the next major evolution cited on 4chan's infamous online message boards in 2013. And this alludes exactly to what you were referencing, where Thompson himself is directly referenced by an anonymous poster in an anti-Semitic 4chan politically incorrect thread link. Uh, with a restricted video uploaded that was entitled Jew Ritual Blood Libel Sacrifice is Adrenochrome Harvesting. So this is the first like written citation of the blending of, of these two components. And it just may be the origination point of the contemporary legend as we know it today. Although, as you pointed out correctly, it clearly ties with very well-known and retread historical antecedents here, right? Absolutely. And it's become you know, kind of a... Because of its its supposed links, it's almost becoming a modern day satanic panic as well. That's absolutely true. That, that, and that's it, and, and and frightening, right? We we've seen that. We both lived through that component. I myself had a grandmother who once uh, brought home a well worn Xerox copy of a uh, document um, entreating us not to buy any Procter and Gamble products, lest we are directly funding the Church of Satan. I don't know if you had any <laughs> any actual encounters yourself in that time period. Thankfully, uh, I had a little more open of a family, so that that wasn't an issue. But at the same time, because it wasn't, I got to see and understand that uh, all of the claims that were being made out there weren't exactly truthful, which is probably one of the things that got me into this research as well, because I could expose you know, myself to these things and try to understand them rather than just be told by the... Uh, the strict parents, no, don't do that because you'll burn. Right, by the powers that be, obviously, leveled down. So, yeah, in, in continuing our tracing of, of its folkloric, folkloric evolution, um, so 2013 is that point. And then from these initial boards and communities, Pizzagate, as we mentioned at the top of the show, would later materialize and develop throughout 2015 to roughly 2017 before making the jump into more mainstream media platforms. And... And I think we'll have a clip later on of this, but I think the next big notable jump seems to be the 2019 InfoWars segment um, hosted by one of our personal favorite, Alex Jones. Oh, he could have show. a pot. We could do an entire series just on Alex. <laughs> on the asserted uh, connections between the Clintons, the newly formed bio-research company Ambrosia, and the harvested young blood theory that began spreading rapidly on YouTube later that year. Resistance to tyrants is obedience. A message to Hillary. It's Alex Jones. You can run on. When I think about all the children Hillary Clinton has personally murdered and and chopped up and 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 raped, I have zero fear standing up against her. Yeah, you heard me right. Hillary Clinton has personally murdered children. Go tell that long tongue liar. I just can't hold back the truth anymore. Hillary Clinton is one of the most vicious serial killers the planet's ever seen. Um, so that's kind of like just the, the history of where we can go back and track the origins and evolution of how this myth evolved and transformed over time. And I think here, Brian, what, what's fascinating to me is that 
for people that are coming from a rational standpoint, it seems to be real easy to dismiss or debunk this conspiracy by simply, you know, by, by thinking, by tracing, by rational discourse, by deconstructing its evolution. But to me, the more fascinating question and one that this show will always be dedicated to is why we may be prone or evolutionary and historically likely, if you will, to actually believe in such an easily debunked assertion, right? Like, what is it within us, in our culture, in our society, um, that's innate in us that can sometimes lead otherwise rational people to come to believe such ludicrous claims? Absolutely, and that's been one of my you know, goals over the past couple of decades, is understanding why people believe things that are usually pretty obvious not what they believe it is and how the the culture stands behind them and supports their beliefs even if these beliefs are you know absolutely not true um now i'll, I'll just throw a tease in there one thing i can say in uh, a, a lot of educational talks to School kids of all ages, critical thinking skills are something that has definitely been lacking as of late. Um, so true. It, it's not something that's, that's taught in school, in most schools. There are some, but I, you know, I think the deeper we dig, the, the more we'll find out that's one of the, the main causes is people really don't have the ability to think for themselves. Um, and one thing I'll give as an example for that, and it, it dials back to this along with a lot of other things, is you always have to watch out for anybody that uses the phrase, do your own research. <laughs> it, it, We've talked the, about this. This would be, a, a, if we're ever going to have merch on this show, that's going to be our phrase on the t-shirt. Exactly. I, that, that's the thing is the minute you hear that, and there's a lot of other key phrases and words but do your own research means there's probably a really weird conspiracy that you're about to find out about <laughs> oh it's absolutely correct i mean yeah, but I, on one level too though i mean from there's an antecedent here i mean from an anthropological context i actually can understand on some level that we've you know registered over time and evolution certain societal advantages and taboos from our primacy right and you know ritualistic child sacrifice to a deity or a sacred social order, you know, that was a lot more common in, in the range of early societies than, than one might think. Well, and, and uh, not just early societies. I mean, that, that didn't stop that long ago in the, in the big scheme of things. That's right. In the grand scheme of time, it is still rather young of an idea, right? I mean, and, and think about this, from the, from the idea of, of placing this, this impetus on children, the more important the sacrificial object was to the devotee, then the more devout and potent both the perpetrator and sacrifice become. So, you know, over time, though later on, as you mentioned, um, recently only in the historical scheme, and through the transfusions of like recent monotheistic religions, at least in the West, um, we kind of evolved to generally regard grave you know, child sacrifice is more of a grave taboo by late antiquity, at least in the European tradition, um, so that the ritualistic societal offering of children had migrated to that of what the other does, right? Exactly. Like other villages, other nation states, other ethnic groups. But I think one thing that you'll find uh, that I've, I've discovered as of late is 
one of the reasons that this has stuck around and people still believe it's happening is because as a species, we crave ritual. Mm. Um, if you take people away from, let's say they grew up in a church that had lots of rituals and things that they did, they tend to miss that more than they did the religion itself because it's something that it it reinforces beliefs it reinforces you know yourself there's a lot of things you know just positive things that can come out of ritual absolutely and you know it's unfortunate that it's the 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 religious rituals that's apply that to them because it can be offered in so many other ways that are a lot more greater for the masses, I'd say. <laughs> no, well, un absolutely correct. And I mean, and, and to go back to that a bit too, the moment we begin to other this taboo of, of, of child sacrifice and ritualistic child torture as being projected onto the the infamous other um then it becomes a a ritual or tradition that they are still practicing most often done through the kidnapping of your children right so we have this this set primal societal fear from the onset of losing our children to external forces well, uh, most often just... organized forces and cabals and um that's strongly cemented in our psyche and therefore expresses itself in our folklore and, you know, something that you were mentioning there dials right back to, uh, let's say, the name of this uh, show, for example, They Did It. My question over, you know, the, these decades of research when I hear this is, who are they? They exactly. are a very powerful group of people. They are not to be dealt with. But n nobody's ever able to define who the they are. That's right. And we, we modify our they for the times that we need to assuage our, our common and, and modern anxieties, correct? Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely correct. Now, it, it's kind of a tangent, but, you know, one of the things that you'll hear is that people speaking, even in this topic, and saying, you know, I, I'm coming forward and they don't want me saying this. So, you know, I... I've, they they will take it down. You need to watch this immediately, or they will do bad things to me. But they never seem to. <laughs> <That's right>. So <laughs> I, I I really think that would be something important for somebody that's looking into any any type of a claim. You know, if if I truly believed that, you know, adrenochrome is a you know a, a thing produced by murdering children in this satanic cabal, you know, all of this. One of the first things I would ask is, who's behind it? Who are they? That's really an important question. And nobody ever seems to ask it. They just accept that the big they is out to get them. Well, that's true. And, wh and while no one seems to be able to, to answer who they are, we have had a lot of historical context over time of nefarious forces who claim to know who that they are. And, and that kind of like leads us as a segue before we touch, however, on our large historical context for what this basic recycling of, of early modern historical propaganda really is behind this conspiracy theory. I want to touch on something you were you were bringing up earlier, and that is also just about the component of 
our relationship with the potency and ideology and fanaticism surrounding blood itself, not only from a biological standpoint, but just also from a figurative and religious and, and cultural standpoint, right? Um, well, because and it, it even sorry, go goes, in, I was going to say, it even goes into, uh, you know, blood obviously has very, very big religious overtones. Um, because it is the, you know, it is the life. That's right. So there's always been some sort of blood sacrifice or a blood ritual or a transfer of blood, you know, the whole, let's say, blood brothers, for example. Um, and there's an inherent other part of that where people are also terrified of blood because they know if it's there, something bad has happened. Mm. Which, you know, I, I think that's a throwback to, we'll say, some horror movies, for example, where if it's bloody, it's scary. Why? Because as a species, you see something that's bleeding, it's hurt, you know there's a problem. And something terrible has happened, sure. Right. So you have both the the cultural and the the the, the spiritual and just the outright biological that's right. Well, I mean, for all of these. Of course. And add to that, too, just kind of the, uh, the attempted medicinal lore of the pre-scientific age, where we first began to theorize in general about the potency of blood itself as like a life force, but also its transformative powers in relation to the Christian religious allegory that you brought up. But, um, you know, recognizing the power of blood is not relatively new here. I mean, the theory of humors and their effect on the body, right, in relation to how how they were balanced within the body had been formulated as early as 400 BCE. Exactly. And, um, you and, know, and, and later interpretations of um, Hippocratic texts linked temperament, health, and potency to either an overabundance or deficiency of healthy blood. Absolutely. And, I mean, in that case, you run into, uh, you know, what were the treatments? You had bleeding. <laughs> Bloodletting. If, 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 if you weren't getting bled, they were sticking leeches to you, which was effectively bleeding you. It, it always involved blood because we inherently knew that something about blood was important. And I and think it, it goes back to that, you know, we, we understand that a lot of blood means that there's something going on, usually bad, but, you know, we experiment, so. You're exactly right. And within medicinal lore... Not only do we have the depletion or bloodletting as a practice in order to try to uh, have some sort of agency over the transformative power of blood, but then also for the first time where we start seeing um, a lot more also of like the physical consumption or, or uh, rudimentary injections of freshly acquired blood, um, which kind of like enters the primitive you know, medical tradition. So we have a couple historical markers there that span this evolution. Uh, most notably, one that I found so interesting was the case of Pope Innocent VIII, <laughs> who under the alleged advisement of his Semitic physician, and this will come into play later, uh, allegedly had a sort of uh, transfusion, proto-transfusion attempt in 1492, wherein it was alleged that the blood of three 10-year-old Christian boys were clumsily transfused to the dying Pope, who quickly succumbed to the botched procedure. Of course, the boys died as well. And that's one of the first um, uh, major Western Christian uh, traditions of such an attempt. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably covering a little of what you're saying here, but it, you go back into... The, the beliefs of vampires. 
I mean, yes, there are vampires, uh, but not the kind that I'm speaking of. Uh, you have the the legend of the vampire that eventually came from from Vlad the Impaler, but you look at somebody like Elizabeth Bathory. Yes. Uh, well, a lot of what she has had said about her over the years has been, you know, amplified greatly. There was definitely a a blood fetish going there. So, yeah, blood goes back a long way in just the beliefs and what what we do with it. No, and, and you're quite right to bring up. I mean, um, Batori, because you know, and for our listeners, you know. Hungarian noblewoman and accused serial killer Countess Elizabeth Batori, who was imprisoned for the rest of her life in the 17th century for the alleged murder of over 300 young village maidens, uh, as you put it, for both uh, sadistic pleasure, mostly, but also allegedly to retain her youth through bathing in their blood. So there clearly exists here a historical and societal precedent in the Western psyche, at least, that children, our children, are always vulnerable to the bloodlust of either the other or those in power who would seek to use their literal blood for its transformative powers, both medicinal and religious. Which somewhat leads us finally to the clearest historical recycling of this, of this modern conspiracy theory, and that is perhaps of the world's oldest conspiracy of all time, and that is a subject I know that, that you know a lot about as well, Brian, and that is blood libel. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, once again, I think this goes back to the education of... You know how what is taught in schools, and I think things like history, for example, with with blood libel, people should should know that that existed because you know, like they say, people who don't know history. So, oh my God, I, we're we're seeing a battle right now over what we are allowed to teach, but more importantly, what we are not allowed to teach exactly in our history classrooms. So you know, I I think. It's a really interesting perspective of, I think a lot of this is taking place because people don't know that it's happened before. It's never been pointed out to them that something very similar happened a long time ago. (laughs) And we know this is exactly the same thing. It's just been rebranded. Of course, exactly right. Recycled, rebranded, which is the case so often. I mean, and it, you know, and let us be clear in this in this episode. I mean, this adrenochrome conspiracy, as you pointed out aptly, is not new, and it's a related Trumpian QAnon overarching conspiracy. Um, new new uh, version are quite simply just a modern recycling. Let's be blunt of Nazi cult mythos on blood libel and the old protocols of Zion propaganda. Right? Absolutely. Uh, it's just simply the newest incarnation of melding what may be argued is the deadliest conspiracy theory in history with the protocols of the Elder of Zion at its center. So the Tsarist secret police put together this document that basically. Um, chronicled the meetings, the alleged meetings that took place over time in Prague at the site of the Jewish cemetery by Jewish elders who came together to discuss ways in which they could rule the world, in which Jews could rule the world. So um, every single movement in history, um, every single event in history, can be that way attributed to the Jews.
what would you say, and I, I know there's a lot of mixed histories, was the originating case as far as we can find in in the whole blood libel lineage? Certainly. And what's, what's interesting about that is that um, actual, like, full-on recorded... Uh, recorded, documented accusations of blood libel, typically against the Jewish community, in regards to the kidnapping of Christian children to be used in Jewish blood rituals, um, basically goes back to as early as the, the the 12th and 13th centuries, from its early incarnation. I mean, it's, it's quite early um, as as the as the Jewish diaspora was found itself all throughout modern and very Christian Europe. Um, but what's interesting about that one, too, is that there also formulates from its own bizarre folklore um, that was prevalent at the time that, uh, that the Jewish male also had menstruation, which was a very odd and bizarre uh, Christian myth that was quite popular in Europe during the, the 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries. And it was this idea that Christian men were warm and full of blood. This goes back to the humors uh, assertion right. much earlier. And that uh, Jewish males were, were cold and um, full of black bile and could only be warmed or cured through the uh, accumulation of, of Christian blood. Now, this is obviously just basic Christian allegory with the idea of the blood of Christ can save. Right. And, and the way the conspiracy went throughout much of Europe was that um, this was a perversion by the Semitic communities to believe that the blood, therefore, of any Christian, most notably children, could help reduce or, or release this ridiculous notion of male Jewish menses. And so that was like one of the first time that it really became prevalent that the idea that the Jewish community was invested in specifically taking Christian children for use in their rituals, both religious, but as we pointed out, transformative for their own, uh, for their own lifeblood and for their own preservation on this earth. So it's right. been I mean, yeah, one of the the main things that they were doing is they were uh, rumored to be, uh, you know, making matzah from the from the the blood. Now, you know, one thing just to dial it back in case people aren't hip on ancient terminologies. Um, there were four humors that were the elements that made up the body, I guess is a good way to put it, uh, which was blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. And they had to be in balance with each other in order for you to be healthy, which, like you were saying earlier, that's one of the things they'd start bleeding you because, you know, you had, you had too much blood in your, your humor system. But, you know, I, that's another thing. When, when you say that, I automatically go, oh, yeah, I, I know all about that. But at the same time, I would really like to see who, you know, average Joe out on the, the, the listening world knows this. You know, yeah. you say oh, something right. like that. They're like, well, what are the other three? No, that's absolutely correct. And you know, one thing that we we know that we're dedicated to with with this um, with this series is to always uh, do our homework as well. We will be providing links in the show notes that will take you to reading where you can explore yourself and to be able to go back and explore these histories to to make it a bit more clear as to where our traditions and folklore come from. Right. Absolutely. So this brings us kind of 
toward the end here, and I, I really want to focus for a moment just on this idea of what QAnon just truly is, just a simple recycling of this Nazi cult propaganda, um, and specifically from its foundations with the with the uh, fabrication of the the famed protocols of the elders of Zion, uh, which I would have you also like speak on. I know I know you know about it, but like I said, for our listeners' edification, this was a uh, now hundred year old fabricated publication, most likely created by the Russian Empire's police forces at the time for for political purposes, which claims to be a record of a secret cabal of powerful Jewish leaders intent on world domination the manipulation of, of the world's currencies and economic platforms and media and the establishment of a one world government. Brian, does this sound familiar at all? Well, I, I was going to say, you know, you could uh, strip the date off of that and bring it to now. <laughs> exactly. And it's exactly the same. It's the, it's the people behind the scenes. It's the Hollywood elite. It's the politicians. It's the, you know, the, blame everybody, but it rolls back to the whole, anti-semitic thing no truly and, and, and this may be perhaps the most notorious and widely distributed anti-semitic publication in history right i mean it's it's lies were extolled from uh, originally from russian czars to to our good old american henry ford of automotive fame in this country who literally passed out thousands of free copies in america um, up to adolf hitler referenced by al-qaeda and they all to the far right today and available for free download at the click of any Google search. Yeah, exactly. And, and featured in prominent uh, cherry pick sections on on uh, 4chan boards. Oh, absolutely. Forever. So what, what I what I think is, is so fascinating, what we really want to just get across to our listeners today, too, is that, you know, yes, this simple perusing of a modern QAnon theory, which many of you, I mean, my God, if, if nearly... 20%, nearly a fifth of our country believes that this could be a credible, real theory, a credible thing. Um, it brings you right into the belief system that a cabal of powerful elites dominated by Jews and foreigners is manipulating our wars, influencing the economy, as we said, moving tirelessly to control one world government and literally taking our children to rape, torture, and procure their, procure their blood for satanic rituals. So in this way, this adrenochrome conspiracy theory is the ultimate amalgamation, right? Like the proto-conspiracy theory. It tries to blend all the beliefs and taboos of ritualistic child sacrifice, the satanic panic, blood libel, the protocols of Zion, mystic medicine, Nazi propaganda theory, pedophilia, and contemporary right-wing doctrine into one united new modern theory that nearly a fifth of our nation claims to believe in. And Brian, I find that terrifying. Oh, so do I. And every time you say a fifth of our population, I get kind of a chill. Uh, but, you know, it's absolutely true. And I, I I can attest to that. I run into people all the time that... It's interesting because they may not believe the whole thing, but they've cherry-picked what they want to believe out of it. Exactly. So... You know, it's it's a lot of the, well, that part's crazy. However, the rest of it, that's right. the part that I believe. Oh, and, so, and, and they are behind it. No, it's so true. Exactly. Brian, what do you think is next for this? I mean, the goal the goal of this series and what we'll be replicating in every series is, is as you pointed out, a way to try to provide some edification for understanding the historical and evolutionary constructs that, can allow us to be susceptible to some of these theories that whenever you really 
deconstruct them, you can see how recycled and, and, you know, refurbished they all are, but how, what is a call to action for our listeners, right? Um, like what's next? How, how do we take this on? How do we reduce that number? Well, I think, uh, we're a very small cog. However, (laughs) I, I think that that's really what it takes is if you can start educating people one at a time, and that's always been one of my things with any of the, the critical thinking is if I can affect one person, if if we can make one person understand this this may not be real, they spread it around too. It's it's almost like a virus itself. So we can look at all sorts of different conspiracies and things like that and examine what is it that people are believing. Why do they believe it? Because it's much easier for most people who have at least some ability to think to look at things once they know more about them. And I think that's really our job is to point out, here's what you're being told by the bulk of society. And here's some of the truth behind it. And just being able to open that door to them so they can look and understand what's actually going on out there. And right now, uh, I think this is an amazing time to do this just because we are living in one of the strangest, most conspiratorial (laughs) times that has ever been. That's right. And it's, I thought it was going to get better, and it's only getting worse. Uh, so good for the show, not good for society. <laughs> well, on that note, we want to, uh, to leave off by thanking our listeners. We hope you will join us on our continuing uh, episodes as we continue to explore the depths of the rabbit hole with, through conspiracy theories and uh, strange and unusual beliefs, and also examine the historical and evolutionary uh, constructs behind them, the shared human experience that allows us to be open to partial belief in such things, but also a rigorous training through this podcast on your methods of deductive reasoning to be able to thwart any such uh, impulses when you come upon them as primal as they may be. Brian, what do we have coming up on our future episodes? Um, I think next week, just because it's such a timely topic and I know you won't disagree with me, Uh, we need to look into the world of vaccinations. Absolutely timely and important. And perhaps like Elvis's influence in 1956, our small but humble gestures can help bring about a massive change into the, <laughs> into the world's constructs. That, and that is our goal here on the They Did It podcast, to be the Elvis Presleys to your to your rational deficiency. Exactly. (laughs) We thank you all for joining us here on They Did It Podcast, and we hope you'll join us for future episodes coming very soon. 